Welcome, everyone, to the final Twitter Spaces of the year for Axler. Um, and this is actually a continuation of the Future of DeFi Part 1 that we held uh, about a month ago. So we've still got some uh, folks joining us, but we are uh, seven minutes past the hour. So we're going to get started with, um, with a round of intros. So... I'm going to be everyone's least favorite teacher and uh, just uh, volunteer people to, uh, to introduce themselves in the order that I see them here. Um, so I'll start with myself. Uh, my name is Kate. I am the community manager, lead, whatever you want to call it at AXER. I've been here for, uh, for three years. Actually, the 21st of December marks my third year anniversary at AXER. So um, yeah, really excited to be here. Really excited for our awesome uh, lineup of co-hosts. And with that, I will pass it off to um, Lavana, who wants to intro themselves. Anyone from Lavana want to? All right, we'll <laughs> move on to uh, Vela. Who here uh, from Vela wants to do the honors of introducing themselves? Hey, guys, can you hear me? I've been having technical issues right left and center, um, but I guess we're doing Hi. some intros. I just joined late. Um, hey everyone, this is Uncle B with Vela Exchange. Some of you know me as Burke. Um, I lead the product development uh, along with strategic partnerships here at Vela. And for those who don't know, Vela Exchange is a synthetic asset-based um, perpetual exchange on Arbitrum and Base ecosystem. Also a proud partner of Axelar. So thanks for having me here. Awesome. Welcome. Uh, I saw Lavana. I saw you guys. Uh, Hi, I'm Jonathan Karras. I lead communications at uh, Lavana. Lavana is a perpetual swap um, on uh, Osmosis. Uh, and we are we offer 30x leverage on a bunch of different crypto assets and uh, 100x leverage on Forex. And we'll be adding uh, commodities in the near future. Nice. Great intro. I'm going to pass it to... Uh, Hi, Aaron. I'm Josh from Somalia. I lead BDN Growth. Um, Somalia builds like next generation vaults. Uh, we're primarily on Ethereum right now, but quickly expanding to some of the L2s via Axelar. Awesome. Uh, Carlos, why don't you throw in, the, throw in the mic to you? Why, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. Uh, I'm Carlos, the founder of Valio, and for those of you not yet familiar with what Valio is, we are an operating system for omnichain, permissionless, and trustless asset management. And the reason you should care is because Valio is your gateway, and I'm speaking to you, the regular humans, just like myself, uh, for you to get access to the institutional funds that you couldn't otherwise get access to. The funds that previously had a minimum ticket size of 250K that required you to have a team of lawyers. Value solves all of that for you. So you can get um, simple exposure to, or rather simple access to smart exposure in crypto. All right, awesome. Uh, the final speaker here, I will pass it over to uh, Synther. Uh, hi, Kate. Thanks for having me here. I think it's probably going to be the last Spaces event for quite quite a fuss uh, uh, in this year because I think most of us yeah. are probably going to go into Christmas holidays. So uh, I'm sure I'm not going to be speaking to most of uh, the people who've connected on the Spaces event for Christmas. So I think a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year in advance to everyone here present. Thank you so much for taking out your time. Uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, Synther. We're building an omni-chain uh, liquidity protocol on top of Axelar. Uh, we are currently live on uh, testnet on five networks. We just recently clocked 
uh, 2 million transactions. Uh, we're now clocking about 100,000 transactions a week, uh, 12 and a half thousand users. Synther uh, makes um, life easy for users when it comes to moving between ecosystems. They can use this omni-chain liquidity layer to move, move in and out of ecosystems seamlessly with uh, peak capital efficiency, with uh, the utmost degree of security. Um, and yeah, and um, users can effectively um, use this um, omni-chain liquidity layer to uh, also garner uh, multi-chain real yield. And uh, most importantly, uh, uh, other dApps can uh, integrate with Synther, build on top of Synther, and uh, provide omni-chain experiences to their users. So uh, that's us in a nutshell. Uh, thank you for having me here. Awesome. All right. So um, I think everyone's on. So yeah, this is a pretty, you know, agenda-free space. It's it's really kind of a look back at 2023, at the year that we all had, um, you know, and also a, a look forward to to 2024 and some of the exciting things that uh, you know are going to go live, are going to ship. So I guess yeah, to start this off. Um, question that I'm going to ask, you know, just and anyone who has an answer who wants to hop in, uh, feel free. Um, yeah, I, I guess the first question is, what was the biggest surprise from last year? And this is, you know, a purposely open ended question. But in terms of, yeah, you know, kind of products that launched trends. Yeah, what, what was the biggest surprise from from last year? Happy to uh, go first here. I was going uh, to pass it to you if no one answered. So there you go. <laughs> well, there we go. I tried to read your mind as best as I can. So glad I succeeded. But listen, I'm probably going to say something that's fairly unpopular. Um, my biggest surprise of the past year was the extent to which restaking as a concept gained popularity. And it's also as surprising as it is alarming because I feel this is one of those technological developments where everyone is really excited about the headlines, meaning restake your ETH, get extra yield, validate these systems, and so forth and so on. But I feel there are hints of a Luna Terra situation here, where if we're not mindful as to the systemic risks that this type of technology creates, we are unfortunately on course to relearn some of the lessons that were learned with Terra and Luna and also in 2008. So it's been really surprising to see the lack of scrutiny uh, all sorts of restaking systems have received. And that's definitely going to be my number one. I, I think sure. Carlos... We're starting off strong with that. <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was going to say, I think he couldn't have said it better. I think we've been... I, I would think... Um, I, I continue to think along the restaking line that just vanilla staking or like vanilla liquid staking is is still underrated and underexplored uh, it's been very cool to see some of the the challenger protocols uh in this space pop up and, and gain some traction obviously like lido um has done a really great job just with integrations and like is establishing that lindy so like they're great but also some of these new challengers like swell um come along and, and gain steam and then like others like diva are are adding their new spin so just seeing all the different variations of liquid staking i think has been uh really cool to see flourish this year nice i know uncle b you were uh you were saying something before yeah i'm not sure if som can hear me but i was just gonna agree with carlos it's uh it's awesome to see but at the same time we just need to be quite diligent of what kind of a systemic risk that we're building on uh just like you said this is what we've seen with Terra Luna, and this is what we've seen in 2008 with the traditional finance as well. When we start levering up like this, uh, we just want to make sure that we are not trying to build the same thing that we're trying to run away from. Uh, besides that, one of the biggest surprises to me personally has been how quickly a narrative can change in a bear market compared to bull market. So this last year, the narratives have been changing uh, within not only DeFi, but overall the space on a weekly basis. Like, I don't think I've seen it this fast, even in two, uh, 2021. So that was quite surprising to me this past year. Awesome, all right, I'm gonna pass it to, yeah, Lavana, there we go. I'm happy, yeah, so I think the, uh, I think seeing um, a real, and this is similar to what you, you guys said, but I'm gonna put a positive spin on it because I think, uh, 
the the interoperability of applications, which uh, I think some really exemplifies, and um, you know, Lavana kind of builds on top of that stack. the The fact that you know we can be in the Cosmos ecosystem um, and have an application that that really feels uh, Ethereum native and and appeals to Ethereum users uh, is very powerful because it lowers the barrier to entry into Cosmos significantly. And then being able to use the the, the tech stack uh, to be able to create these, you know, real yield Bitcoin, real yield ETH um, has been, you know, really interesting. Um, and, you know, what uh, Lavana does, Lavana actually then can take these native tokens and uh, and create leverage for them. So it's kind of like a stack on top of a stack uh, focused around real yield. Now, where, where I would disagree in terms of the whole uh, Luna uh, comparison is that we're in a much better place that the, a lot of the Ponzi economics, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the farming uh, of DeFi summer, you know, that, that feels so long ago, just didn't work uh, during the bear market just because there was no liquidity. There was, there was no general interest. Um, there was no floor or support with tokens that, you know, were, um, you know, constantly being uh, like uh, hyperinflated. And so because of that, a lot of those projects and that whole kind of economic model really faded away to be replaced with the real yield model, which, which today we see on Kajira, we see it in the fees on Osmosis, um, we see it in Lavana, in how Lavana pays out uh, fees on Osmosis. And, and uh, I think we're, we, now the, the, the narrative has really shifted from um, like a YOLO, um, you know, you can just make up magic internet money to a, there has to be a sustainable business model and that you have to uh, build a product that actually solves a purpose um, and, tra- and, and creates a, essentially a marketplace where there's uh, participants that are receiving uh, profit from a, you know, a desirable service that's being created rather than just inflation. And, you know, and I think that even just from this move with Adam of, of reducing the emissions uh, is, uh, you know, is, is a move in that direction. And then also the, um, you know, the taker fees introduced on osmosis is a move in that direction. I think we're, we're distancing ourselves from the uh, Luna Terra saga uh, from an economic perspective, and we're moving towards uh, sustainable, healthy markets. Uh, absolutely. I think uh, I also agree with that. So I think uh, restaking does have uh, its own uh, own risks. I think but we've obviously uh, learned from uh, what 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 has happened before. And, and, and these, these are kind of things which are pretty much like necessary evils, because something that we've seen with uh, the whole restaking narrative take shape is uh, these kind of events are, uh, I somehow feel, and I could be wrong, are, are important to actually uh, stir up uh, liquidity in a way and just kind of shakes everyone up and just kind of wakes them up. And so these kind of necessary evils to an extent uh, are, uh, are kind of there in every system and they kind of just come in, do their bit and they kind of exit. So that's what we're probably going to see. But uh, something that uh, the Levana team really spoke about is, yes, uh, uh, the way we've kind of distanced ourselves from uh, the whole Terra Luna sort of uh, structure is moving more and more towards real yield. I, I don't think I've seen uh, uh, the ecosystem talk about real yield so much the way we have in this entire sort of bear market. I'm the ones, the one that we've just probably, I think it's safe to say now that we're kind of emerging out of. And other than that, uh, something that has really caught my eye, I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty much the reason why we are all here today is um, the omni-chain narrative as well. I mean, up until August of last year, July, August of last, uh, last year is when this entire narrative started taking shape. I think we're still uh, quite away from uh, what, true omni-chain architecture looks like because I somehow feel a lot of um, a lot of us builders are still looking at the entire omni-chain narrative from a cross-chain perspective and um, I think um, uh, the omni-chain uh, narrative if, if, if it were to actually do what it's supposed to do I think us as builders will have to start looking at things architecturally in a much more different manner and uh, I mean I see a couple of dApps doing that but uh, this is this is going to take center stage is what I kind of feel. So definitely, real yield is something that's going to take, it's here to stay, and it's going to shape up probably, uh, it's already started shaping up the kind of things that we're seeing today, and it's going to 
set the tone for what is going to come, what DeFi will have to offer to users more and more in the future. And uh, the omni-chain narrative, I think we'll move away a lot more from a uh, conventional sort of cross-chain movement. And uh, like I said, um, I think a lot of us are still looking at uh, omni-chain through the lens of cross-chain. And I think if we have to start building omni-chain, we'll probably have to shed um, the entire perception that we have uh, around uh, cross-chain. So yeah. Omni-chain, real yield, and of course, free staking. I think these are the things which... I think you're cutting out there a little bit at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, that sets us sets us up really well for, for my next question, you know, for, for the teams is, you know, based on the surprises, right? There's there's never a dull moment in uh, in crypto. But yeah, I mean, based on, you know, the trends and, and kind of the surprises over the past year, what are kind of the takeaways? Like what are, what, you know, looking back at the past year, what are the learnings? What are the takeaways that, uh, you know, that, that everyone here kind of gleaned over the past year in crypto? Okay, I'll start this one. All right, yeah. there <laughs> we go, Thank you. legend. <laughs> um, this past year has been uh, quite interesting, like we mentioned, uh, for DeFi, as well as for Vela. Uh, we've seen many ups and downs, um, definitely learned a lot along the way. Um, one thing that we've learned is that DeFi moves so, so fast. It is very difficult to have like a, a long-term plan and stick to it. Um, but just keeping the focus there. So I believe one of the most imp important things, um, is to like focusing on, especially during these, uh, times, uh, like 2023 is to focusing on adaptability and survivability. So basically going for fighting another day. Um, adaptability is very, very important to keeping things flexible because you never know what tomorrow's narrative is. Um, and staying relevant is key to not just survive these days, but also success in the long term. Um, another thing uh, we've learned is being bold is quite important. Uh, we see a lot of initiatives here and there that just wants to, you know, quickly fork uh, with little to no changes to like token economy structure um, that doesn't necessarily aim to achieve true innovation. However, I see this as like a vicious cycle, like a lot of protocols usually end up lacking the vision and do not get to achieve a sustainable competitive advantage. Then afterwards, it just becomes a slippery slope. So those are the, those are the learnings for my end. Nice. I love that. Um, all right, I'm going to be, oh, Carlos, there we go. Hop on in. Yeah, happy to go next. That's actually a great question. Um, I think the major learning for me, or rather something that I truly understood this year, is that the future of DeFi adoption is not going to be in the West. Um, if we're realistic about the situation, most of what we do in the Western economies with respect to these decentralized systems are advanced forms of gambling. And we've kind of integrated that into the core levels of our thinking when, you know, we discuss things like real yield and narratives in a single sentence and don't really pay uh, mind to, you know, the, the contradictory nature of these things. But what I've really learned this year is that the future of DeFi adoption is going to be in emerging markets. And if you look at places like Nigeria, if you look at places like Turkey, there is this crop of neobanks popping up among other forms of businesses that are building real companies that serve real users that address an unmet need and that are based on the technologies that you know we've been working on for the past almost a decade. So I think that's really going to be, or rather what I've learned is that this is really going to be a North Star in the coming years and perhaps even the coming decade if we are to really be locked in on creating value through building infrastructure that's simply not been accessible to many people in the world. Nice. I mean, yeah, for me, I was, I've been to Turkey uh, two times over the past year, both for, uh, for ETH hackathons. And, you know, the craziest thing is, you, you know, you fly out of the airport and the entire terminal is sponsored by BTC Turk, right? So there's clearly, you know, demand for it. There's clearly, you know, I think there's over 200 and something universities uh, in Turkey, and I think over 150 of them have, you know, have, have blockchain clubs. So yeah, can't can't agree with you, cannot agree with you more. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be everyone's least favorite uh, teacher here and pass it to Sam Sommelier. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the speculative, like just on, on the last comment, the speculative nature feels to be the thing that keeps people interested. Um, and I think we're just so early in in the early innings of the crypto story that like that is going to continue to be like the main driver for a good bit, even though you are seeing some adoption in these like uh, argue like arguably more useful things like stable coins um, as payment methods continue to climb, uh, you know, providing access to financial products from like for underbanked or unbanked populations like that continues to thrive. Uh, just being able to exit out of your local currency into some crypto or your your local fiat regime into crypto assets like uh, that all continues. But I think the speculative nature is is still going to be prominent for a good bit, just because we're we're still so early in the the larger crypto story. Um, can I just respectfully push back on this a little bit? Um, it always, you know, ruffles my feathers when, when founders come up with this narrative that, hey, we're still very early. That's why the only use case of what we're really building here is for speculative purposes. We're not too early anymore. We've been in this for quite some time. And the reality is that we currently have all the necessary degrees of freedom, technologically speaking, to address real world problems, on-chain risk transfer, on-chain currency transfer, remittances. Um, stable store of value, and so forth and so on. Now, the real elephant in the room that we should be talking about is that the, and we can argue as to the extent to which VCs enable this, but um, there are just adverse incentives in the industry. Most of the money is made by creating speculative products that cater to the Western audience. And uh, it feels to me, at least, like there has been um, this kind of, un, you know, subconscious effort to normalize it. But we should not be doing that because we have everything that we need in order to build products that create real value. Can I, can I jump in real quick? Um, I'm just gonna merge what you guys are discussing. Um, as being a Turkish person and been seeing it real, like real world, um, I lived in Turkey for about 20 years and seeing what what a like local currency can do local economy can do to you um now i live in canada but i still go back to turkey every year um i think you guys like at least this is my perspective is that you guys are both right the thing is when the economy is um in a very very bad shape now your currency is at a point where it's like pretty much at a hyper inflation level the users are not necessarily directly seeking the stability. They, they become opportunistic. They want the, the speculative um, opportunities going to our space. These are the gateway. And then they end up having the stability by um, having more exposure to more stable assets. And to be honest with you, against Turkish Liras, I'm going to call ETH and BTC even more stable assets. Um, or stable coin, like you guys said. So it, essentially, the end goal becomes the stability and useful products. But speculative um, aspect of it is actually a gateway to many that is out there, not just unbanked, underbanked, uh, but also lack the knowledge. And they just become opportunistic very, very quickly. So I agree with right. both of you. <laughs> I love it. Um, and yeah, fellow fellow Canadian, I'm also uh, based in Canada. Um, but yeah, I know we haven't heard from Lavana or Synther, so I'll pass it off to you guys. So I, I'd say the you know the the, the biggest uh, revelation is that um, that no matter how good the offer is, um, he, you know users have a very low tolerance for um, learning new things. That even if you but, you know, even if uh, there's an opportunity uh, to have clear, um, you know, better or earnings to have access to new markets that you didn't have before, like in the the, the unbanked or, or half banked, that the average user, is, if it's you know, if it involves um, 
downloading something new, if it involves you know, uh, reading a lengthy document or, or watching a number of videos, you've, you've already kind of lost 95, 99% of the, the total addressable market. And that the big challenge uh, from crypto, and, you know, and I agree that we're not early anymore, but I think that where we've really underdeveloped is in the user experience, especially around the onboarding. It's just too hard for the average person to get into crypto. And as crypto becomes more mainstream, and I think that as we run into the, you know, the Bitcoin halving and as people are more and more conscious about uh, inflation, and I know, you know, it was uh, very apparent, especially being in Turkey uh, this year of, of kind of seeing how, you know, things are priced not in lira, but in, in euro or, you know, you go into the supermarket and, you know, there's like a whiteboard where it's written what the price of apples or grapes are because it, it fluctuates so frequently. So it's, uh, it's very uh, apparent that people, that, that crypto solves a problem, but without drastically improving the, the UX around and, and lowering the onboarding friction, uh, I fear that the benefits of crypto um, will be captured by uh, essentially the same old players, like the uh, quasi-crypto applications, like the, the BlockFi's and the, the, the Voyagers and the FTX's of the world, uh, because they really focused on nailing that onboarding experience uh, where DeFi still comes and starts out with a multi-step process before you can really even get started. So that's uh, that was you know a, a lot of work that uh, the Levana team went through of working to onboard um, you know literally hundreds of people just through grassroots movements and really feeling the pain and confusion uh, of that process of you know, making your first uh, trade or, you know, LP, like real yield earned deposit um, in a, a DeFi protocol. So that that does transition us perfectly into the next question. But before I get to that, I'm going to pass it to uh, to Synther to answer the question of yeah, yeah, learning from the past year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, what all, all of them have already said that uh, I think uh, something that strikes most is uh, user experience. and. Uh, Definitely, that is uh, still a big challenge, which is uh, there for DeFi to actually surpass. I think the centralized exchanges are doing a wonderful job at it, and which is why we're still seeing new users flocking towards sexes. Uh, but uh, changing user behavior just kind of takes time. I know we've been there for a very, very long time, but uh, changing user behavior is, uh, is, is a much more of, I, I would say, a steeper uh, hill to climb. And uh, speculation could be that low-hanging fruit that uh, will always, uh, uh, I would say, elude people. That's because uh, whether we're talking about uh, the Turkish reference where we, we're probably seeing crypto as a safer form of sort of store of value. Uh, I come from India and in India, to be honest, uh, sending and receiving money is supremely easy through this uh, interface that the government has developed called UPI. So, I mean, that, that issue is not really... Uh, I would say addressable from a crypto perspective, but again, there's a different sort of a use case for the Indian market, uh, and uh, that is definitely accessible. Um, that is the accessibility to global assets. So crypto kind of solves these kind of challenges. But um, I would say whether it's speculation, whether it's uh, using it as a store of value, uh, every user will find his or her own hook, and it kind of depends on us how we use that hook, bring that user in, and then how we slowly spend that time in modifying that user's behavior for the long run. I think uh, most sort of protocols get into that uh, entire cycle of getting the user in through a particular hook and then just continuing to uh, feed that user the same opium. So I think from that perspective, we need to focus a lot on um, sort of long-term value creation. Maybe the, the, the short-term hook could be something that we just use to probably get the user in, but from a long-term perspective, yes, I think user experience in DeFi has to be focused on and needs to be looked out um, more comprehensively. Uh, I, I don't think protocols uh, at times uh, pay a lot of attention to the education aspect, which is where I think the sexes are kind of trumping the game. And that's, that's how they're kind of garnering most of the volume because they're actually looking at the fact that the user is looking to speculate primarily on a sex, but the kind of education that I see that a sex that it actually invests in 
is is far far ahead of what DeFi protocols uh, invest in. I, I seldom see uh, any sort of department looking at educating the user from a long term perspective, and uh, this is something that kind of e-commerce companies did back in uh, back in the millennium that um, they kind of spent a lot of uh, money not just on attracting the users through um, I would say uh, the carrot, but they also kind of invested a lot in the stick side of things and helping up shape that user behavior that we see today where uh, the internet is a secondary nature to all of us. If we want crypto to become secondary nature to all of us for all its merits, I think we'll have to invest a lot on the education side. And I, uh, I think we're still sort of far away uh, from, from that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's what I would ideally like to summarize this way. Yeah, I mean, totally, totally agree with you there. You know, I think, yeah, the, the, the elephant in the room, you know, to, uh, to steal your thunder there, Carlos, is, uh, you know, is still really user experience, right? With, you know, with kind of web two, the traditional internet, nobody, you know, my experience on Instagram versus Twitter is the exact same, no matter where I am in the world, you know, no matter what network I'm connected to, no matter, you know, what kind of device I'm using. And so, you know, and that's powered by, you know, a set of protocols, right? Border Gateway Protocol, TCP, IP. And, you know, when you access the internet, no one's thinking, you know, no one, you don't need to know how your search, you know, engine or how whatever application you're using is, is powered because it just works, right? And it's just a great kind of user experience, super seamless, super intuitive, you know, and that's, we're not there yet, right? With, with, web, with web3 at all. Um, you know, we need to get to the point where we not only have analogous experiences, you know, to Web 2 and Web 3, but ultimately, you know, the goal is to have better experiences. Um, and, you know, at Axar, our kind of philosophy for that is empower developers with really intuitive, secure, decentralized and powerful SDKs and toolkits to build really great products to then pass on that seamless and great user experience, you know, onto their end users. Um, so, you know, we're all here. All of our awesome partners are on here, you know, and we're all pro interop, I hope. So, you know, this is a very long winded way of, of getting to my next question, which is, um, you know, I'd love to hear from from the teams here, how you approach interoperability, how you think about interoperability, you know, how it informs the developer journey, the user journey, and yeah, kind of your your thoughts on interop in, uh, in DeFi. And I will pass it to Uncle B from Vela. All right. Um, so interoperability. Well, first of all, I have to tell everyone and the whole audience, the biggest challenge I see with interoperability is how to pronounce it. English isn't my first language, but damn, this word is very, very difficult for me. Um, so if I mispronounce it, don't judge, please. Um, we can we can do interop. There we go. Okay, that's that's much easier. Thank you. Yeah, chain, <laughs> interop, whatever you want. Okay. Um, so interop has been quite important i believe we have many um uh, many people here building omnichain products and stuff like that i believe that everyone agrees the fact that we've been just constantly siloing the more l1s and more l l2s coming out this liquidity is getting fractured and um the efficiency is going out the window and with the interop uh we got to be able to in the future open up the potential for uh, more of a shared ecosystem. It's um, like on, on Vela, for example, we've already um, partnered with Axelar and Squid, and which allows us to onboard multi-chain minting the VLP, which is our liquidity um, provided token, as well as depositing into the exchange to utilize it as a collateral. Um, these are very, very important. However, we see these as like baby steps, right? Um, this just opens up the doors and um, allows us to visualize a much better future where um, just like Synther here is working on where the shared liquidity is possible. It's like, I'm just going to give you guys an example. I know people use this analogy for wallets usually, but I like to see it as like internet where your speed uh, or your provider, your speed, your cost doesn't matter in the future you will be able to end up on the same side, having the same ability to communicate and transfer, transfer bits seamlessly. I believe the end goal is to be able to achieve that rather than just focusing on shared liquidity per ecosystem where shared liquidity get, um, 
around the all all ecosystems uh, would be an amazing unlock for DeFi in general. Kate, if I may, I think uh, you your may current question ties into <laughs> the, the previous question very well. Um, the UX is indeed an integral part, and we need to understand that users are accustomed to certain patterns of you know, interfacing with systems. And these patterns are dominated by Web2 systems. And if we look at the key frictions in Web3 preventing us from building these experiences, basically they are two things. Number one is abstracting away the wallets and abstracting away the networks. And it is because of companies like Axelar and companies like Privy, for instance, that we are now able to recreate these experiences uh, so they resemble Web2 to the point where any person who doesn't you know, who hasn't even heard about crypto can engage with some of these apps like Frentech, for instance, without having any prerequisite knowledge. <clears throat> but on the point of interoperability, I think this is a topic that would deserve much more attention. Like ideally in a perfect world, we could take some of the attention away from restaking and bring it to interoperability. Because to me, it feels like we've only explored the very surface level implications. You know, we have bridges, tokens, all that stuff. <clears throat> but I've never really seen a real debate as to what type of um, systems can we build subject to the current binding constraints, prevalently among them being block reorganization times. So because uh, of the finality considerations of different blockchains, there is just some binding level of latency that we have to deal with. So that prevents us from currently creating things like omnichain AMMs and, and, and you know a couple of other things. But that doesn't mean that this isn't useful. In fact, it's incredibly useful. And the types of systems that we can build with the current interoperability solutions, they are immense. But to me, this feels really underexplored. And perhaps kind of looping this back to a former question, one of the bigger surprises this year is that, you know, how little attention this topic that is so profound has gotten compared to some of the more sexy speculative topics if you will carlos i got the the restaking it feels personal at this point <laughs> but uh no for sure i mean yeah totally totally agree you know axer three years ago you know it was it, it was quite uh quite a feat to convince people that you know the multi-chain the interchain the cross-chain world was coming to DeFi, you know and the, the space is obviously caught up, um, but yeah, there, there's still a lot of work to do there. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna pass it off to, uh, to Sam next. Yeah, I think, you know, we're really excited to be living in this increasingly multi-chain world. Um, you know, like we're, we're a Cosmos chain, so we sort of bought into this vision on day one, um, but then with the the rise of some of the like alt EVMs last cycle, you know, there were more more games in town than just Ethereum, right? Um, and then now with the layer two landscape, uh, that the Ethereum ecosystem is starting to embrace this this multi-chain world. So I think that's been really cool. Like like has been previously mentioned, um, I, it, I don't think it's fully appreciated uh like just how critical some of this interoperability like on the tech side like as a protocol like um you know how am i gonna get users from these other ecosystems how do i reduce risk with some of these bridged assets um how can i like just bridge messages instead there's you know all these wrapped versions of these the same asset like uh, a bitcoin or eth right there's like three different bridge versions how do i not fragment the liquidity from the user pr perspective, um, like just knowing where my assets are across these different chains. Um, like there's just like all these UX implications. So definitely looking forward to streamlining some of those things out. Um, and then like that, that next level I got was previously mentioned as well, like a true omni-chain experience where maybe I have ETH and I want to source the best ETH yields, right? Um, instead of like having to go separately to Arbitrum and then go back to Optimism, like if I can just have my funds shuttling around, pursuing those different DeFi opportunities across, you know, five or six networks uh, within one 
like cohesive, coherent experience. I think that'll be really cool. And that's sort of the experience that feels like um, will be required for like next generation apps. So you mean a DeFi experience? It's like intuitive, seamless, easy. We 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 don't do that. Yeah, here. we we don't know how to build that um, as an industry, but we're we're all striving towards it. <laughs> Listen, de devs do something. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. Yeah. Uh, there we go. I think that. Uh, yeah. I think that the the whole. The, I think we have a language problem, a communication problem. You know, when we say things like um, bridging and you know, omni-chain and cross-chain and, and things like that. It's like, it's almost like if the internet was um, presented where, oh, you know, I have, um, I have cross-website internet. You know, it's a, there, there was a time when the, um, you know, when you had AOL. I remember I, I grew up and I had CompuServe and um, a, you know, a, 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 a Juno inbox and a uh my and my i had friends with prodigy and there was just like no way for us to you know to interact with each other on the internet and there was you know and i remember uh, you know thinking like why is everyone on the internet from california and like it was just so siloed as to you know what your what you could access and how these proprietary you know ecosystems um it, it, uh, gave you that they they essentially presented themselves as like um as uh, as like you know media companies it's almost like okay do you subscribe to um hbo or do you subscribe to you know cinemax or it was like that was the mental model that they that they picked and um we've kind of fallen back into that model you know and when we see it a lot with like the the maxi mindset of like you know i'm a you know, I'm 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 a Solana Maxi, or I'm even a, I'm a Cosmos Maxi, or an ETH Maxi, or yeah. And then you know, there's the subsets of like uh, of you know, how you mentioned um, the the ETH layer twos. Whereas the the future really needs to be that the tech layer is invisible, and that just everything just works without having to educate the the end user. At the, at the end of the day, you know, whether or not I'm on a website that is running from a Linux box or you know, from a, a you know Microsoft web server, or I'm not even sure if there's a third option, but uh, but something to that extent. Like it's all, you know, it, it's all extrapolated away. I don't use Facebook um, or Instagram or or any other service um, because of what server stack that it is running on, and I think we're going to see um, that transition happen, or we have to see that transition happen, where user acquisition happens at the at the um, application layer not at the um, you know at the consumer infrastructure chain layer and you know I think we've we've fallen into this trap historically uh, really just from uh, you know how price movement kind of worked is that you would have a new chain that launched the chain would have some type of uh, um, you know bridging or onboarding subsidy that would attract a, a large number of users the large number of users, uh, would create a you know reflexive uh, positive price movement. That positive price movement um, creates um, you know gains within that siloed ecosystem. You know people uh, have you know positive sentiments to those gains, uh, and they're they become risk on because you know when you're in the money, you're just by nature risk on, and then that um, you know inspires exploration within uh, the applications which. Uh, are within arm's reach within that ecosystem, and then you know the uh, you know liquidity begets liquidity, and um, the, the the smaller the market cap, the easier it is um, to be able to create uh, noticeable gains. And so we've kind of fallen into this um, economic uh, uh, methodology, which is designed to create fanboys with one ecosystem. But but really the future is that people onboard directly into an application because they love that application and then it kind of works backwards from there that they love that application and then now they see what is um within arm's reach of that uh, of of that specific application and i think that that's kind of the model that you see with like facebook and instagram is that i might be on facebook and then you know i'll see posts and then it it, it cross sells you know, oh, you should go and check out the, this poster or the series of posts on Instagram. 
Um, so it's a it's a shift, and I think it's a maturation of uh, of the um, uh, of of how the economics uh, or you know the 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 um, gainsonomics maybe we would call it uh, will happen. And I don't know if this upcoming cycle will be able to successfully create this, but I think that it's eventually the path to success is is a path of user adoption um, through the application layer. I think you've you've triggered collective millennial PTSD with the the dreaded dial tone. <laughs> so yeah. for anyone uh, anyone under thirty, uh, there used to be a time where if your mom was on the home phone, you could not you know dial into the internet. You'd have to pick one or the other. And now look at us joining Twitter Spaces with our smartphones. We've uh, we've come a long way. Um, so yeah, I'll pass it to uh, to Cinder. Yeah. So I think uh, interop is uh, more of a discussion like. Um... At, at the technical stack level, right? Because ultimately for the user, it ideally should not matter. And uh, I think what, uh, what Levana said is actually very, very true. User acquisition needs to be looked at from an application layer perspective and not a, not a consensus layer perspective because the user doesn't really, uh, I don't think the average user cares what the consensus mechanism is in this case, as long as the user is actually getting a good user experience by the end of the day. So, uh, so yeah, so interop at a tech stack level needs to be dealt with quite differently. Uh, so one thing that we need to understand is, and, and I'm probably uh, saying something which is already well known, at least for us, but uh, it's 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 just out there. So I'll probably just uh, uh, touch upon it, is that the multi-chain ecosystem is here to stay. Liquidity is going to get more and more fragmented. It's already getting fragmented. It's already quite fragmented. And the only, uh, I would say, the solution to this is the interop narrative. And, uh, but, but like I mentioned, uh, us as builders, and I think uh, while while uh, someone was answering a previous question, they kind of uh, uh, touched upon the fact that everyone's in the, I mean, uh, honestly speaking, most apps or most sort of products that are getting built are essentially just easy forks of something that has already worked. And once you do that, right, you're effectively, so when you're forking um, any sort of, uh, any product or any stack, right, you're effectively inheriting not just the benefits of that tech stack, but you're also inheriting kind of uh, uh, the disadvantages that tech stack that actually offered, right? Because most of the products that actually do end up getting forked today were built in an era when uh, cross-chain wasn't even thought about. Because we, I mean, most successful uh, dApps that we end up using uh, today were actually built at a time when ETH was center stage and all of the liquidity was actually locked on ETH. So whenever... And now that we are suddenly we've been teleported to this multi-chain ecosystem where liquidity is fragmented, now we're actually having now we're actually uh, seeing developers deploy uh, maybe say whether you call it a soft fork or a hard fork, but you're effectively seeing developers poking stuff which is already outdated because interop needs to be dealt with at an architectural level. This is something that I was discussing with Yorios as well when I met him at when I met him in Singapore is that. Uh, most devs today are focused on, uh, I'll, I'll call it interop from a cross-chain perspective. And everyone's kind of thinking that, you know what, it's uh, basically uh, uh, something that I can use to go from chain A to chain B. Eventually, what we need to think about is chain A and chain B should not matter at all. Something that Levan also spoke about. It does not matter which chain you're actually on. It does not matter um, uh, what consensus mechanism is being used. I need to have an analogous experience. And for that, uh, devs will have to create products that are omni-chain at, at the root level, right? And uh, and what I mean by omni-chain is you have to just spend and put in the effort of revamping the entire architecture. Because And, and what I mean by folks is like you have so many synthetic asset protocols, you have so many pop texts. To be honest, or, I mean, I don't see any difference between one pop dex and another unless or until somebody actually puts in the effort of figuring out how it's going to be different because from a ux perspective yeah there could be some 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 change right from and then you have so many cdb protocols you have so many lending protocols i mean from all that perspective every, everything pretty much kind of looks the same and and which is why you have this story of you know what i am this i, I am probably uh, the 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 lending protocol on in this ecosystem it does not really matter by the end of the day like i mentioned everyone's just kind of replicating the same thing again and again just in different ecosystems and no one's really thinking of you know maybe creating like this homogeneous sort of experience by just taking this one app and the only way you can do that is if you uh rethink 
how the architecture should look like. Yes, that takes a lot of effort. But if somebody can put in that effort, I think, uh, and, and most devs are doing that. We are, like I mentioned uh, towards the beginning of this uh, event, is that uh, OmniChain has taken center stage, center stage for me. That is probably the biggest uh, takeaway from this year. And uh, we're probably going to see a lot of uh, Omnichain narratives build up in 2024 because uh, something that um, Carlos also spoke about is that we're eventually heading towards uh, mass adoption. We've already been here for long enough and we, and we need to start focusing on mass adoption. We need to start looking at that way. We cannot just keep on telling ourselves that, you know what, we're just fine tuning the tech stack right now and mass adoption is going to happen maybe five years later. We've already been here for long enough. We've had our learnings. We know what needs to be worked upon. And if UX needs to be addressed, if the UX needs to be addressed at the application layer level, uh, we will need to fix uh, uh, the, 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 I would say the flaws that we've inherited from the legacy protocols because most protocols being built are effectively replicas of what, is all, what was already there in 2017-18. And at, and at that time, we were in a unichain ecosystem, but now we're in a multi-chain ecosystem. So if we have to fix that application UX, uh, we need to fix the architecture first. And, and, and obviously we have uh, you guys uh, as Axelar uh, kind of giving us the tools in order to do that. But uh, uh, I think the real effort will effectively have to be put in by, by us builders. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, couldn't couldn't agree more. We are at the top of the hour, so I'm going to end off this uh, this AMA, which has been awesome, by the way. You know, really, really great takes by everyone. You know, this has just been awesome to to listen to everyone's opinions and, and insight. But I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna end off the uh, the stream on the the look, uh, you know, the look ahead part of uh, of the AMA. So this is your time to shamelessly shill. Uh, so what product features releases? you know, whatever from, from each project are you guys most excited about um, that are going to launch or going to go live in uh, 2024? Kate, hopefully you don't mind me hijacking this and going first since I have a hard stop in 30 seconds. But right. um, <laughs> uh, just to kind of piggyback on what Ritwick just mentioned, uh, and as well as several other speakers, which is that we need these seamless experiences. We need this user experience that is uh, intuitive and understandable <clears throat> to you know a non-crypto native. And this needs to be the de facto standard. Valio is doing that. And our goal is to displace the crypto exchange monopoly as the de facto way of onboarding new users to crypto. So here's the blatant chilling part. If you don't have if you don't want to make investing in crypto your full-time job and you just want to you know, hand over your funds in a non-custodial way to someone uh, with a clear track record, excellent performance, someone who you previously would have had to pay at least 250K, uh, you know, to get into their fund. Now, these fund managers will be accessible to you through value, instant deposits, instant withdrawals. And we really look forward to kind of trying to chop away at the uh, exchange monopoly uh, that we currently have on top of the funnel user onboarding. So thank you so much for having me. We look forward very much to see, you know, how the Axelar community is going to develop from here. Uh, some incredible projects, incredible builders, and we couldn't be more excited. Thank you for having us. Awesome. Thanks for joining. Valio uh, and Carlos out. All right. Yeah. So okay. I'll jump in. Yeah, I'll jump in here. So in terms of, uh, of, of uh, there, was a, there was a comment before. Um, you know, which was uh, definitely triggering is that all perps are, are the same. You know, I think that uh, one of the things that uh, Lavana has worked on historically and continues to work on is to uh, create an entirely new perps model, which is significantly more capital efficient, uh, significantly safer for traders uh, in terms of maintaining solvency, especially around lower cap tokens. And, uh, and also, Due to its capital efficiency, has significantly higher siloed uh, real yield um, earning uh, the counterparty vaults, which users can. I think we've got twenty-seven of them now, with uh, many of them, uh, you know, distributing over a hundred percent APR in kind in the token. So you deposit Bitcoin, you you know, you get uh, APR in Bitcoin. You deposit Adam, or SD Adam. Uh, you get the, the the same kind, so there's. I think that that there is a lot of uh, opportunity to innovate uh, from the um, architectural level, 
uh, which then just creates a significantly better product from an economic level. And that's where we put our focus. I agree that you can't really change what the user interface is going to look like. There's always going to be a chart. There's always going to be you know, a market and limit order, but you can really change the, the risk model and uh, the, the fee model and the uh, APRs for liquidity providers. And that, that's where Levana really has shined. And that's how we've acquired in just four months over a billion dollars worth of uh, trading volume on, um, you know, uh, primarily on uh, the osmosis chain and been able to pay out um, uh, to users on the osmosis chain um, that have been interacting with Levana over a million dollars in, in a such a short period of time. And in terms of the, the future, uh, what we're really excited about is being able to uh, continually offer new perps markets uh, in a safe and sustainable manner with real yield as new tokens come to market in this next cycle, and then be able to offer real, real world assets, uh, specifically around commodities like uh, gold, oil, uh, soybeans, and you know, things of that nature, uh, which to date, uh, people within the, the Cosmos ecosystem um, have, and in, and in most uh, crypto ecosystems, have had no access to. So that's, uh, I think that's that's what we're excited about. Nice, yeah, definitely. RWAs are kind of have you know come out and are dominating the uh, crypto Twitter and the discussion. You know, we just launched our proof of concept with uh, with JP Morgan. Um, you know, in regards to RWAs. So congratulations, yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah, super excited about that, you know, and um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going live for us in 2024, Interchain Token Service. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm going to pass it off to uh, to Vela. All right. So I'm actually going to agree with Levana here. I think there is, yes, there's so many perplexes out there. We're aware of it. We're a perplex as well. Um, but this competitive environment does um, even though it may seem a little bit oversaturated at times, it does push um, the builders like us to find ways to innovate in many different angles. Like, just like Lavana mentioned, um, it can be on the structural side, it could be on the like the fee management, the liquidity management and the utilization side, as well as even on the UX side. I, just like you said, um, there's a basic, there's always going to be a chart, there's always going to be a perpetual form, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can either you cannot gamify your exp, um, experience or you can make it a lot more social. There are certain things that can set you apart um, and or, like saturated market does kind of push um, existing players to keep um, forefronting innovation and just going after the innovation. So I do agree. Um, for Vela itself, I am uh, quite excited about 2024. Of course, we have about two weeks left. Um, thanks to our um, our like step proposal and everything else, um, we do have a we will be kicking off twenty twenty four with a, a liquidity incentives along with a bespoke like a gamified incentive program uh, called Grand Prix. Like we've set aside about one million ARB rewards just for this program alone, uh, for the Q one alone essentially. Um, whether you're a trader, liquidity provider, you will have a chance to compete in this. Uh, this is one of the, like, just a small additive experience changes that we can do um, to set us apart. Um, aside from that, of course, we're very excited about V2 development. We haven't said much about this, but I will try to leak as much as I can without leaking so much. We'll be drastically improving the liquidity efficiency and the management, um, the social aspect of our application, as well as the utility side of things. Um, as I mentioned, I can't reveal more about it at this time, but stay tuned for the Q1 and Q2. Uh, it'll be huge for us, uh, aiming for aiming to position our ecosystem perfectly for the post halving, essentially. And thanks for having me here. Great discussion. Nice. Some uh, some alpha drop. All right, I see that some had to drop. So, Cinter, let's uh, we'll yeah, close I'm that actually. Yeah, I'm actually a Vela user myself, so I kind of uh, agree with um, with Vela's point there that definitely saturation is required for uh, pushing the envelope in terms of innovation. I think uh, what I meant to say was uh, uh, we effectively have to look at uh, innovating at a structural level, which of course I think a lot of the participants here are doing. But uh, having said that, um, so yeah, Synthr is uh, gearing up for its mainnet in Q1 of 24. Uh, we are already on uh, testnet at this point in time. We're already live on five testnets. 
like I mentioned towards the beginning of the call, we just recently locked 2 million transactions, about 12 and a half thousand users. And yeah, we're now all set uh, to hit, uh, I mean, to take center stage. Uh, and um, and yeah, uh, uh, especially push uh, the Omnichain uh, sort of envelope more and more, uh, because that's something that we've been truly working on. And uh, both from a structural level, as well as trying to, uh, uh, better the user experience as much as we can. Of course, a lot of strides have to be made, but uh, that's something that we are effectively focused on, uh, effectively providing users with uh, an experience where they don't have to worry about moving from one chain to the other. They don't have to worry about stuff like security. They don't have to worry about stuff like capital efficiency. And users can simply move between chain A and chain B as if, um, um, I, I mean, a, as easy as um, playing around within, a, within the same ecosystem. So we're we're building a homogeneous sort of an ecosystem for users. And we are doing that using an omnichain liquidity layer that is, of course, powered by uh, the likes of uh, you, Axelar. So you guys are making this possible for us. So thank you so much for what you guys have done, uh, especially for the space and uh, making it uh, easy for us uh, builders to do what uh, we do best. So yeah, thank you so much for that. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, as from the community side, as someone who helped bring Axelar, you know, from testnet to mainnet, definitely, you know, a super exciting time. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. So yeah, I guess with that, we've, uh, we've come to the end of this space. We are an hour on the dot when we started. So I want to say a huge thank you um, to everyone else who hopped on. I know we've, uh, we've kind of been losing some, uh, some co-hosts as we kind of creep past the hour. Um, but yeah, really, really appreciate everyone hopping on. Thank you so much. This was an awesome discussion. Really great way to end up. Uh, you know, 2023 and our final uh, Twitter spaces of the year. So thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, happy holidays. I know uh, Christmas is coming up. Hanukkah just ended, you know, whatever you celebrate. Uh, wishing you the best uh, to close out this year. And uh, yeah, excited for 2024. But yeah, thanks guys. This is great. All right, I'm gonna end this out. So yeah. Cool. Thanks for hopping on, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape them under the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets, dead ends dragging out the max amount of payments, red down days, got them acting all bankless, yo fam, what, check these tokenomics, they probing this bear, flexing broken honest, I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting knotters, and then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic, never known the politic, I was born to frolic, it's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot, we got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top, we like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom, over impossible loss, it's all moss, and I'm liking the odds, fondue in the morning, for and mycological bonds Click the cap, yo, the road is highly involved Flip a coin, diary falls Motherfuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy Before they find themselves Working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lay Stacked in non-toxic just to get a better place, smacking on the hostage Like the shit is played for keeps clowns, white knight and all these Maybelines. They call it implausible, when model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your community, all these low hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach, coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served
Terror spaces.